PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Don't know what that is? Go to LogRocket.com. Thanks. And welcome to Pod Rocket. Today, uh, I'm here with Kaylin from our team here at Log Rocket, as well as Sebastian McKenzie and Jamie Kyle, the founders of Rome Tools. How are you guys all doing? Doing great. Good. Uh, so, Sebastian and Jamie, um, maybe you could tell us a bit about Rome, um, or, or maybe even I, I know you know both of you guys have fairly uh, illustrious backgrounds in the open source world, having worked on a bunch of pretty important fundamental projects in modern front ends. So maybe you could talk a bit about your uh, your backgrounds and then tell us a bit about uh, what you're building with Rome. Yeah. Do you want to start, Jamie? Sure. Uh, yeah. So um, Spash and I first got started together in open source in like 2014 on 6 to 5, which became Babel. And that sort of started down like, like personally, it started me down the path of working on lots of tools and um, product infrastructure type uh, projects. And yeah, I've also had a background in design systems, framework development, and, and things like that. Yeah, so uh, me and Jamie, yeah, we started out both together working on 6 to 5, uh, which is a project that I started in 2014, just as I was finishing high school, um, just like messing around with latest kind of tech like AS 2015 was like a big deal um, but like you couldn't use it and so I was just playing around like cobbling together a bunch of existing libraries to like build this library and it basically yeah exploded in popularity uh, gave me like some credibility so I could actually get a job um, and then that eventually led to me like joining Facebook where I worked on Babel uh, which is what we renamed 6 to 5 to uh, and I think that that kind of the history of Rome kind of descends from from that, both like what m me and Jamie sort of wanted that project to become. And uh, just like gradually over time, we both left that project. And then uh, kind of Rome was always something that I was uh, working on and um, we're both like thinking about. And so eventually decided to take the plunge uh, at the end of last year and uh, quit my job to try and work on it. And now we've started a company around it to try to build it and make it sustainable. Yeah. And so Rome, I mean, it seems like you're kind of pulling together a bunch of disparate tools in the modern front end ecosystem to give developers a better experience building applications, but maybe you could give you know, a bit more context around you know, what specifically you're building. Yeah. So Rome is, it's a mono tool chain. Uh, so it is basically a tool that does a lot of things that you would typically associate with different tools. This is kind of a, a new thing in the front end ecosystem where it's taken a lot of its philosophy from like Unix, where you have individual tools that do things, specific things uh, very well. Um, and, and so uh, Rome is basically like consolidating all those into, into one. Uh, we've kind of built them from scratch rather than the typical uh, ecosystem approach of uh, basically like cobbling, like adding a bunch of different tools into like a, a template or a package or some other like abstraction. Uh, and th this, it, in the end, it the additional abstraction doesn't really, 
prevent you from having to think about all these like dozens of tools that you use. You still have to kind of be aware of their existence and how to configure them. If you do anything that like the thing out of the box um, kind of doesn't support, then you kind of have to go like digging around. And so Rome is trying to do all of those different things and kind of have a, yeah, a single place to configure them. Uh, at the tool having kind of the cross understanding also allows us to do like a lot of advanced features that you typically wouldn't be able to see in these uh, other tools. And so the kind of, yeah, we're, we're using like a lot of the, the knowledge that exists kind of, uh, yeah, to do cool stuff. <laughs> I don't know, what, what, Jamie, in your words, kind of what, what how do you see where? Um, I think that anyone who's worked on like JavaScript tools has had the experience of adding something new to their stack and then having to like, reconfigure their linter and then add something to their type checker and then to their bundler and like changing Babel rules or whatever. And then uh, even their testing framework. And um, by the end of the day, like you, you get these like 150 line changes just to like install some new CSS and JS framework or something like that. Um, and a lot of that is due to this idea that like we have to, we all have to be islands um, in tools and everything has to be done through plugins that uh, pushes responsibility around the ecosystem. Um, so nothing quite works together. Nothing's quite designed uh, all together. And by bringing everything under the same tent, um, it allows us to say, no, like when, when you configure this thing here, all of your tool chain understands it all at once. Um, and by taking that responsibility, we can also make lots of optimizations and make a lot of the experience better. And when you say tool chain, like which tools are we talking about here? Like every single part of the modern application stack from from like bundler all the way up to CSS framework, or are you focusing on kind of one part, like bringing together tools in one part of the application stack? I think a little bit more lower level than like talking about a framework. Uh, I guess over time, I think we've seen more bundlers take a little bit more of a role in uh, being a framework, um, but we want to build Rome primarily around the web with web primitives um, and not take too strong of an opinion so that hopefully Rome is a little bit less time specific uh, and it's not something that you would feel the need to move away from later on when you want to use a new framework. and. Uh, yeah, we building an extensible platform was like our original goal with Babel, um, and that carries around today. We uh, uh, we're hoping that people will go and build frameworks on top of Rome, and uh, that we will provide uh, a great experience for anyone just wanting to use basic web technologies. Yeah, I, I love the focus on config help, uh, personally as <laughs> someone that. Uh, a month upgrading Babel at LogRocket. Uh, so uh, any kind of like movement in that direction uh, is probably super important for the community. I feel like I'm meeting celebrities, by the way. <laughs> uh, Babel was like uh, s such a transformative milestone, you could say, in the whole community. Uh, so great to meet you. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, Sebastian can probably talk more about this, but there's also a lot of opportunity where um, a lot of work is done over and over and over again in different tools. Um, every single one of your tools has a 
its own parser. Um, we tried to unify that with Babel, but it, uh, it it worked in some places, but it didn't go as far as we wanted it to. Um, and that leads to a lot of overhead that we see today. And so, uh, okay, so Rome is itself is open source, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, know, you mentioned you're kind of rebuilding or, or building this all-in-one tool. Like, do you did you take um, code or ideas from Babel, your previous projects, to go into Rome, or is it like a ground-up rebuild? Uh, there are like very small parts. I think like the notably like the JavaScript parser and the JavaScript code generator that that I've kind of taken from from Babel. Uh, and there's actually a credit section on the website that kind of like lists out all the specific things that have kind of been inherited or forked from other projects. Uh, but everything that has been imported has basically like been gone through pretty drastic changes. Uh, like the bubble parser and the code generator is almost like unrecognizable, especially the code generator, which we've um, basically rewritten just using the existing one as a base and actually matches more closer to like the way that prettier works since like that's one of the the things that we uh want to want to replace and so uh yeah a majority has is just like all built from from scratch like the ground up like the html parser the css parser like all of the rest of like the core primitives the compiler um and it's yeah it le- less interesting i think is like the the code that has sort of been forked and more a lot of the philosophies um or a lot of like the things that have kind of the learnings that have gone into it, like a, a big kind of a lot of the things that we learned from Babel have gone into like the architecture of the compiler. Because uh, like Babel has a lot of like architectural problems that uh, are like very difficult to solve. And uh, artifact of that is that this like kind of built, like I designed the original API and I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> And in order to like change and improve it, it basically, yeah, it had re- required changing the complete API of Babel. Uh, and at that point, you would basically be releasing a new project. Uh, and that was sort of the conclusion I kind of drew when I um, came to like the end of my time working on Babel in that I saw that in order to improve it, it would require such yeah drastic changes that it was easier just to leave and like start a new thing. Uh, obviously, the time in between starting that new thing was on the time of like years um, and kind of, we're still working on it and building it, but that's kind of the, the, yeah, a lot of like the, the learnings that have, um, kind of the, yeah, the, the yeah, we've learned a lot from like these other projects, um, like ESLint as well went into the designing of like our autofix API. And so I think that is, uh, is yeah, kind of standing on the shoulders of, of the giants, so to speak, even though the code isn't like actually taken from those projects. And this is maybe like a silly question, but you know, when when Babel first came out, twenty fourteen or, or you know an eternity ago, I think you said twenty fourteen. Like, I feel like back then there was, you know, the, there was the level of support for different versions of JavaScript was kind of more all over the place in different browsers. And so, if you want to use any ES six type features, obviously you needed to transpile. Um, I'm curious, like now in twenty twenty, like I've heard it seems like the browsers have come a fairly long way, like. What is the role of of transpilation today, and like, do you still need it, or only if you're using bleeding edge JavaScript features, or kind of how do people think about that? Having so, um, like I mentioned, my background has been at working on product infrastructure teams at um, for lots of different companies, and the sort of like background thing that no one really the 
I think a lot of the community is even aware of is that um, a lot of Babel's infrastructure is its plugin API and it's used for a great deal of many things at different companies. Um, it's used for everything from like code optimizations to enforcing code standards to writing code mods and, and all that. And that infrastructure is like deeply embedded in tons and tons of companies. Um, and for a while, when we, we opened up Babel, we weren't even like really fully aware of it. It was only by like actually going to companies and uh, meeting with them that we learned about a lot of that stuff. But in terms of like the role of translation in the ecosystem, um, JavaScript is still an evolving language. Um, there are new syntax features every year and uh, there'll be a continuing role to play to um, keep adding that those features. But yeah, I, I think that the the number of features people actually need to compile down to today is dramatically different than what people are actually compiling to. Uh, someone, it was um, Jason Miller, I think, from the Google. Uh, he had a really great tweet that was breaking down, or a blog post that was breaking down like how much wasted code there is on the internet of code that's being transpiled that doesn't need to be. And it's pretty dramatic. Um, so uh, clearly we need to do a better job of uh, integrate, like taking our stack and actually um, meeting the needs of companies who are still supporting old browsers and whatnot, um, but also do a better job uh, building the web uh, so that people using, <laughs> not even new browsers at this point, but like any browser after 2016 uh, isn't, uh, shipping sometimes like megabytes of code that doesn't need to be. Um, Wasn't that the goal of uh, preset env? Yeah. Um, we, that was kind of a, I, I don't know if Sebastian would say it this way, but I think preset env should have been the default behavior of Babel. Uh, but the thing is that it doesn't, it's not quite aware enough of your stack to do an effective job of it. It's really getting into the responsibility of a bundler, uh, knowing to create multiple uh, builds of your app uh, to target different browsers. Um, and that's just something that Babel never really could do uh, without taking a step into bundling, um, but something that we could uh, do in Rome quite easily. And so you guys uh, you raised venture money for Rome. Um, you're curious to learn a bit about that process and kind of some of the long-term plans of, of building a business around uh, these open source tools. Yeah. Yeah. I would just talk about it. Yeah. I, I think that I, it's been an interesting process. Um, uh, I think I've tried to be as public as possible throughout the, the fundraising process, um, including, I think that I, the core contributors to the project, like we've had a private chat where I've like been active in from the very beginning, like, Hey, thinking about like long-term funding, like the money that has fundraised will eventually run out, needs more than just me working on this. Uh, how do we How do we get money? Uh, and so throughout the entire process, I think I'm um, very fortunate to be yeah, very, very open with everyone. Uh, and once we raised, so we were able to bring on a couple of the core contributors, which I'm very excited about. And they've, yeah, just like dug in really deep from just like the very beginning and have already done some uh, amazing work. So, yeah, uh, happy to talk about any any part of that process. <laughs> any wise words for aspiring open source 
product? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I, it was, uh, yeah, it, it happened very quickly. I think it was like over the course of like three weeks from like the initial kind of investor reach out um, to actually like raising raising money. And I think that, yeah, it, it kind of, yeah, it, it, it was very challenging kind of getting up to speed and like all the terminology, making sure that like we uh, put ourselves in the best position uh, and then like, yeah, preparing a pitch deck. And then me who historically has not really enjoyed a lot of these kind of public uh, presentations, <laughs> having to give them to like these uh, investors who are like grilling you and like you kind of have, have your own ass on the line. Um, yeah. What are like long-term kind of plans to build a business around Rome, like monetization? Um, curious how you're thinking about those things. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, it, it was very important for us that kind of like making open source the kind of the core part of the company. And it's kind of like vague what that actually means since it can just seem just like idle idle words in a way. Uh, but the, kind of the, the monetization strategies that we've been thinking about really focus on uh, bringing supplemental features that only make sense as a part of a paid service rather than like having a community edition of Rome and then there's like a paid commercial distribution. Like it, it just... It, we don't ever want to put ourselves in the position where we're deciding like, oh, this feature should be like behind a paywall. Um, that really just doesn't make sense. And so focusing on uh, building out features and like we have like a long list of um, potential kind of products and, and services to build out. But I think the more important thing that we're focusing on right now is actually building out the open source tool and kind of seeing where the, the actual demand is for a lot of these things. Since it's, yeah, it's just so difficult right now to really determine uh, a lot of the direction that we should be going in. And so, yeah, we're immediately we're just like thinking about the growing the, the open source uh, community as well as just like the releases and doing it in a way that uh, kind of aligns our interests with uh, like the commercial interests with the success of the, of the community. Yeah, I mean, I guess on the subject of community, like I've seen a fair amount of like skepticism in general when open source projects raise venture money. And um, I guess Rome, it seems like, was not immune from the skepticism. Like on the Hacker News launch, there are some various comments saying like, okay, well, you know, how is this going to work? Like, is there going to... One, I thought this was funny. It says, will there be an IPO for a JavaScript library one day? Um, and I think it's a fair question because like, you know, people want to understand like, okay, this whole community is contributing to a project and then there's this company that's trying to monetize it. So I'm curious, um, yeah, like kind of what, what are your thoughts there and, you know, how should, how should, you know, how do you guys navigate kind of managing the community and the expectations of the community and also expectations of investors and maybe any advice to other kind of open source founders along those lines? Yeah, I, I think that, Oh, I, I mean, I was just going to say that, like, I think that's just a matter of proving ourselves um, that we are actually committed to open source. And I mean, I've uh, I've talked to a lot of people now and like, really, we started with an open source project and that's what we wanted to work on. And then the company was built so that we could actually work on it. And um, I think a lot of what I want to bring on the sort of product side it's really just that like there's a lot of really cool tools that are sitting internally in companies right now that are super specific to their stacks that 
um, will never be open sourced. And uh, it would be hard to like just build those on their own without an open source project. Um, and I, I would like to take um, a lot of these ideas that are sitting in framework and stack specific contexts and, and generalize them and, and make them available to a broader audience. Um, so even even on that side, I like it's, it's about opening things up more. And uh, to do that, we really need like this this tool chain that is really unified um, and that serves everyone's needs um, and isn't super tied to one or two companies. I think like one one really important thing um, for me, just like during fundraising, was finding investors who actually like believed in like the open source model as like a means of development rather than just like a customer acquisition strategy. Um, like one of the our, our bigger um, who co-led the round is open source capital, who I wasn't even familiar existed, where they only invest in these like open source as like a philosophy companies, and so. Uh, yeah, I think a large part of it is uh, kind of around like investor expectations and uh, kind of like we're not running to the races and uh, kind of using and using this as an opportunity to capitalize on sort of like a free and open market. Um, yeah, the sort of uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of it just has to do around with uh, making sure that we have the right partners um, in the beginning, and like a lot of those kind of decisions that you see have historically seen like other companies make or also like much later down the line, uh, so they're much more difficult to predict. But I think just the fact that we're kind of a lot more conscious of them and us also having come from like an open source community and the company only existing because of the open source tool um, kind of like changes the dynamics a bit. But I think, yeah, it's like going to be a continuous thing. And I think we, yeah, just need to hold ourselves accountable to that. Uh, and being like open and transparent, I think will be a large part of um, all of our strategy to mitigate a lot of that. Yeah, I, the other important thing there is that we are also building the company to sort of mirror the open source like way of working. So it was really important to us that we were able to hire internationally. Um, we want a completely remote team um, that um, works well and and that a sort of asynchronous way of working on uh, open source and. Uh, we made the early decision that we were going to do all of our like task management and whatnot through uh, GitHub, uh, through existing open source channels, and really only make things private when they absolutely need to be. Um, which, like running a company, there's plenty of those things. But yeah, like we plan on being pretty radically open source and. Um, open sourcing every bit of code that we can that we like unless we have like a very specific reason that we can't uh, open source it um, which we think will be relatively little so for folks who want to try out Rome and get started like what does the getting started story look like like can you bring Rome into an existing application or it's kind of something you want to start with at the beginning of a new project yeah. Previously, the philosophy was very focused around like Rome has a lot of opinions and in the current releases, that is more or less like what is represented. Uh, like there's no way that you can like customize your formatting options, for example. Uh, and so I, I think it's important to speak about this in like the past tense, because that is something that we've uh, definitely improved upon. And we're currently like working our way towards the uh, first kind of 
larger minor release that kind of brings on a lot of the um, more like incremental migration strategies, like supporting different formatting options, integrating with like ESLint uh, as well as Prettier so that if you use one of these existing code bases, you can start like using Roam and have not have like a ton of downsides or like time spent actually migrating. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's been, uh, I, I would say, yeah, definitely previously it would quite difficult to kind of get started. You had to, in order to like adopt Roam, you had to decide to use hard tabs in your code base, for example, which can be uh, unpalatable for quite a few people. And so kind of we're being quite, yeah, very focused on eliminating a lot of those things. And uh, yeah, I, I think we'll have an upcoming release pretty soon that should um, yeah, make it much more accessible uh, and kind of open the door to a, a lot more uh, incremental migration and usage, uh, which is like primarily like targeted at um, kind of larger consumers who can't convince. Yeah, it's it's yeah, just removing the the barriers to actually using it. And is Rome is it currently kind of in a beta stage, or would is it ready for production applications at this point, or uh, what timeline? Curious about that. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, currently, definitely for like experimental uh, applications. Uh, once we release the uh, the upcoming miner, I think we'll be ready for like more like light usage but i i think yeah we'll, we'll definitely be uh we're, we're currently pretty focused on polishing like everything we can to like get the linter ready which is the only kind of a substantial thing that we're currently focused on uh building and like and uh, well focused on supporting at least because rome does like so many things and just deciding like which one of these things we focus on like do we focus on the bundler the compiler uh, and linting has been the first one we're focused on because it's sort of the, the uh, one thing that can exist in isolation almost. Like it's not, if your linter breaks, I like it, it is very unlikely to like break your production deploys. And so kind of it, that, that is one area where like the risk is reduced. And so this also allows us to um, kind of, yeah, experiment more with the plugin API as well as like the rate of uh, breaking changes. And it kind of keeps the interface fairly light, like you're just running Roam check or Roam lint and like using an editor integration. And so, yeah, it, it lets us experiment and like um, test out a lot of lot of the kind of the functionality. And then when we eventually decide to start focusing more on like the compiler and the bundler. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely say that like right now, like, I mean, maybe even like when, once this is released, like we could already have like a minor version out. Um, we're moving pretty heavily towards that. Um, we don't currently have a set date for that, but uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, pretty pretty soon. Rome wasn't built in a day, you could say. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I had at least one. Uh, I was curious for what your you guys' thoughts on um, the newer like generation of like Go and Rust build tools, since that that kind of like basically came out of nowhere. It seems recently. Uh, just like, uh, do you think? Rome might integrate some of them in the future, or you think you might use Go or Rust in certain like parts of Rome, or what are your thoughts on that? I think we'll definitely uh, start like we've been, that's actually something we've been thinking a lot about is uh, not like we aren't we want to make sure that we're not in a position where we like for technical reasons we can't adopt a lot of those approaches and strategies, and if anything, it's actually easier in our case to kind of. Um, to adopt like a systems language and integrate uh, like an external like thing in that way, uh, because like we are like we don't have any dependencies and 
so we have the ability to change absolutely anything to kind of like accommodate any architectural change. Uh, and so, yeah, thinking long term around just like performance, like uh, I think it's it's likely that we would end up having like a hybrid approach where uh, things that are just much more performance critical will be written in a, in a systems language. I think, yeah, it, it is something that we're thinking a lot about. And I think that these tools have actually have actually existed for like quite a while, like in, in kind of other other languages. And I think now we're just like they've reached a point in development where they're like very um, usable and like they've hit critical mass in, in popularity, which has been one of the, the blockers for actually using them. And I think that is also like a testament for how uh, kind of, yeah, building something, like building anything from scratch is like very difficult and takes a very long time. Um, and so that that is one of the other reasons why like it has made sense right now for us to just like develop in JavaScript because it just allows us like prove the thing in the first place. Uh, but yeah, I just, we just have not put out, deliberately have not put ourselves in the position where we can't um, move more towards uh, some of those other systems languages. And like Jamie has been playing around recently with like seeing what we could, could potentially do. Um, and now that we like, now that we have like funding and the ability to hire other people, uh, that is like uh, another thing that we've been thinking a lot about because like it just, it's just very much more time intensive. Um, and so like it's taken years to build Rome to where it is now. And like it, in order to like rewrite it or uh, rewrite parts of it would take like quite a while. Uh, and so this has given us a lot of capabilities um, that we that we didn't like have in the past. Right. I guess a lot of the architecture of Rome, considering the fact that you're saving a lot of time by only like doing all these expensive steps once, that perhaps you're not necessarily in need of the huge uh, changes that uh, Rust and Go would bring. Uh, yeah, I, I think we we have focused a lot on just like having a really good cache. And so while I think the, yeah, I think the the cold cache is like a really important thing. Um, that like that is where you get a lot of the the key benefits from. Uh, but yeah, I, I can think there's like a number of areas where it would just be better just to have it um, in the second like low overhead language. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we could definitely have like very good performance, but like it just at the end, it just wouldn't be possible to sort of um, compete on that, that kind of um, playing field. And so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we're just, yeah, we're, we're doing what makes sense for now, but keeping the, the kind of the door open. Yeah, uh, sort of a follow-up question. I was wondering, uh, d have you guys thought about uh, taking on like the static site? tools like Next.js or uh, that whole like category, I guess you could call it. Uh, I think in general, Rome would be lower level than that. Um, I think that there's probably, um, I think I, I think people sometimes do reach for static site generators before they necessarily even need one um, or entire frameworks before they even need one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I would like it in a world where like um, tools, static site generators and stuff like that could be built on top of Babel or <laughs> Rome. And uh, uh, yeah, they, like, they're building on top of web primitives instead of um, coming up with like their own, uh, uh, tons of their own like custom configuration for um, one particular bundler or whatever. Um, and that, they're much more reproducible um, so that uh, 
they're not re- having to rebuild all this infrastructure under underneath all the time. Um, and yeah, overall, Rome would make building a static site generator easier overall. I'm also reminded by all the trouble that the uh, the demo team is going through with TypeScript because they 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 moved away from uh, JavaScript, but then suddenly you know they're bottlenecked on the TypeScript compiler. So I wonder if you know if if everyone jumps to these faster technologies, then it's just going to create even more problems for us. Uh, in what sense? Sorry. <laughs> Mostly like incompatibilities, like um, potentially being harder than we expect and trading off speed for ha- having to interop- interrupt between Rust and JavaScript. That seems to be what the, the demo team is having trouble with. Uh, they've also done a, a, some pretty good work in um, their Rusty V8, I think is the library uh, uh, bindings. Uh, and there was even a more recent library uh, that uh, allowed you, is like Cerde V8 or something like that which uh, is a serialization framework uh, in Rust uh, that allows you to move data uh, back and forth between uh, sort of Rust and V8's uh, code gen, I guess, um, or their their runtime values that they create. Um, so uh, I'm very interested in the, the stuff that they're doing. Yeah, it's, you guys are like similar projects, I guess you could say. Very ambitious uh, and much needed <laughs> changes. Yeah, I think we're we're both kind of taking the kind of the half a decade, or I mean, up to a decade more of kind of the evolution of the JavaScript or just the front end web server <laughs> ecosystem, uh, and taking trying to kind of innovate on a lot of kind of the the ideas and concepts that have come up that have just been not possible to implement just due to like the historical baggage. Like a lot of the things that like Dino were doing are just like, you wouldn't be possible really, or be very disruptive to like do them with node. And so kind of starting from a fresh slate, uh, is kind of the only way that you can experiment and, and do a lot of these things. So yeah, very, very different, uh, very similar kind of philosophically in the, the creation and how they're taking the ecosystem learnings into account. And moving forward, like what what do you say the next year looks like for Rome, and what are you most excited about on your roadmap? I think I'm definitely looking forward to like releasing more things and just the linter, uh, kind of realizing more completely the the vision that we've kind of set out. Uh, since like right now it's kind of different, uh, it's difficult to conceptualize what Rome actually is because we say, well, all these different things, but right now you can only use us as a linter. Um, I'm very excited to kind of like move out of that sphere as well as show off some of the, the capabilities that we actually have by being an all-in-one integrated solution, uh, primarily just around us, like we have support for HTML and CSS. Um, what if we can show you, like we can do like cross-language linting if you use like a class in a HTML file that doesn't exist, um, like by reading your CSS, we can do like a ton of really interesting things. And so I'm excited to actually build out a lot of that and, and release it within the next year that kind of like kind of proves out a lot of, yeah, what Rome is trying to do. Uh, Cause like a lot of the time is kind of just being spent um, convincing people that this is a good idea. And so it'd be good like to have, have some more weight behind that. And I think this is something that we've experienced before, like when we've been working on Babel or, or Yarn where uh, a lot of these concepts were 
very controversial at the time. With Babel, it was like running your code through a compiler just seemed like ridiculous. Uh, and I kind of, I think CoffeeScript in that case kind of set a good precedent. Uh, <laughs> but, but for Yarn, it was like lock files were just like, why would I do that? I always want the latest thing. Um, and so there's always been, like we've always kind of experienced a lot of these kind of um, initial hurdles. And then kind of once we get over them, it kind of just clears up a lot of time to just like run with it and just like rapidly evolve it. And yeah, so a lot of it is just like waiting for kind of the, the ecosystem consensus to kind of uh, catch up in, in some of the some of those ways. Yeah, I'm also really excited to be able to like actually pay people to work on open source. Um, I've, I've worked with so many people in the open source community. And it's like, there's like a sense of like guilt that you get when you know that someone's really not getting paid anything um, for their open source work and you're still asking them for something. So um, actually uh, uh, getting to say, no, like you get, you, you have like your work schedule, you have your time to do this, you have, you're paid to do it. You get your benefits and whatnot. Um, and like, it's not, um, it, it, you, you lose a sense that you're, you're taking advantage of people or, or, or something like that. Um, and I, I think, um, I'm really excited because I, I, there, there are lots of companies that have, um, either started as an open source project or there are in a, a major way open source. Um, and there's lots of different opinions there. So, um, we have to figure out, uh, how we want to run this company. Um, but, uh, start starting there, of like, like the, like people actually uh, getting paid for their work is, is, um, a, a relief after years of, uh, being in the open source community. Jamie, Sebastian, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been awesome learning about Rome. Um, for folks out there who are interested in learning more, the website is rome.tools. Um, and then if people are interested in contributing, uh, what, what, what's your kind of best recommendation for how to get started on that journey? We're uh, right on GitHub, uh, GitHub slash Rome slash tools, um, or you can join our Discord, um, which I believe is in the room. Uh, Discord.gg slash Rome. Uh, that's kind of where we have all of our uh, public, more real-time conversations. Since it's a lot easier kind of like to provide support and kind of help people out who are trying to contribute over a uh, more real-time chat, uh, as well as like do more um, kind of brainstorming on just like project planning. But for a large part, uh, a lot of this stuff kind of uh, exists as well in the, the GitHub repo in the form of um, issues that are tracking things. So it's always a good place to look as well. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Hi. Thanks for listening. Um, please remember to like, subscribe, uh, email me if you want, even though none of you do. Go to logrocket.com and, and try it out. It's free to try then it costs money, but yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks.